right. Well, welcome to Christ and Kingdom. I'm your host, Pastor Mike Tiemann from the Rock Community Church in Anaheim Hills, California. I am joined here with longtime friend, Pastor Emilio Ramos from City View Church in Frisco, Texas, and the founder of Red Grace Media. And Emilio and I, with my wife and our, our good friend, uh, longtime friend, Todd, um, flew over to Atlanta, Georgia uh, for the G3 conference. And it was um, my first time uh, at G3. I think you have been uh, once or twice before. And wow, that was an experience to say the least. Um, You know, a conference with over 8,000 people uh, was... uh, was a lot of fun, you know, a lot of fun and a lot of, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, trying to get from one place to another. And, um, there was really two parts to the conference. There was a pre-conference that we attended on the gospel in the state. And then there was the main conference on the sovereignty of, of God. And, you know, everybody that was, everybody was there. The keynote speakers were all the, the, the big name, uh, people. And I was very blessed, very edified by the conference, um, challenged at the same time, uh, some things that, you know, I have questions and, you know, I want to, I want to bounce it off, uh, pastor Emilio here and, and get his perspective and, and just kind of talk through it. And so we're going to start with the pre-conference, um, on the gospel and state, but before there, Amelia, why don't you say hi to everybody and and uh, share your little nugget on the conference? Yeah, well, uh, it's good to be with you again, Mike. And uh, yeah, the conference was great. Um, you know, we had some really uh, incredible adventures with Uber, and uh, somehow they got <laughs> we 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 were a little bit in doubt, but Uber got us around safely to all of our essential destinations yep. <laughs> to say that. That, that day day one was questionable when when uh yeah. we, we had them take us to the wrong place and we yeah. we drove through some yeah. neighborhoods for sure yeah yeah i got to see atlanta pretty well <laughs> i feel like i got to know it a lot better uh yeah no man you know this conference was great big big conference i mean this is one of the biggest i've, I've ever attended actually um I'm trying to remember but years and years ago i attended a together for the gospel and that was about the same size as well. It was really massive, 8,000 people, something like that. And uh, this one's a little bigger than that. So, I mean, this was, you're exactly right. Everywhere you went, you're just bumping into folks and stuff like that. So it was, uh, it, it was a, a, a sight to behold for sure, uh, just because of the scale and the magnitude. And just amazes me that they've got venues uh, that can situate that many people in one place for one event like that. But uh but it was great. I thought it was really encouraging, and I think that the the discussion and the pre-conference and everything, I'm glad I went to the pre-conference. Uh, one of the main reasons why I was there was for that pre-conference. I'd like to, you know, I, I, I wanted to hear the discussion and all that stuff, and so uh, I think that's why it's important for us, even as we're talking today, getting the gospel, getting the law and gospel right, right? Because uh, that's that's so essential, and that's foundational, and as you can see, even with a little bit of the interaction they did have on these issues of law and gospel, uh, whether it's Christian nationalism, theonomy, post-mill, these kinds of things, there's the divergence of opinions on a, on a myriad of issues. So uh, it's really important. I'm just I'm glad they had it. I'm glad they had the discussions they did, and all of the all of the all of the messages that were delivered were spot on as we might have expected. Uh, based on who was preaching and speaking there, so it was a really great time. Yeah, and and their their little uh, 
kind of <clears throat> promotion for the, the pre-conference is, uh, it said this, the conference will feature biblical, theological, and historical considerations of the role of the church relative to the states. They're going to have six sessions um, and, and teachers, uh, you know, topics t- covering the mission of the church, the role of the individual Christian in a fallen world, the way eschatology shapes our ecclesiology and the experience, uh, the meaning of Christian nationalism uh, as a concept and the centrality of the gospel proclamation. And it concluded with a with a kind of a panel discussion that I thought was was very interesting, and um, you know, on it, on the on even on the the header of the the flyer for the conference, um, you know, it listed Christian nationalism, it listed theonomy, uh, it listed um, what they called the 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 free church theology and it was a very interesting uh interesting conversation and you brought up the term law gospel and so i guess i just kind of wanted to start there of emilio you know there was some points where we were cheering and in favor there was some points where we're like huh um, I'm not, I'm not flowing with what was, uh, said there. And so what was your, your takeaway? What did you like? What did you dislike, uh, about this pre-conference? Well, um, I mean, technically speaking, you know, I didn't dislike necessarily anything, uh, in terms of, you know, in, in, in terms of what the conference aimed to do which was to have a conversation even with an opposing side like theonomy, post-mill, Christian nationalism. You know, it was interesting because when we walked in, we, uh, you know, I pointed out that we heard three messages, uh, and the first message was uh, James White talking about uh, uh, more of a post-millennial position uh, of things. And, um, and then immediately after that, we had... Owen Strand, who came in and sought to refute uh, certain elements of Christian nationalism, especially focusing in on kinism. Uh, and I thought that was interesting because we heard a more of a positive presentation of post-mill theonomy and those kinds of concepts, although, you know, James, I think, really lightly brushed through those kinds of topics, um, didn't really go very deep into any of that. Uh, at least there wasn't a, a whole lot of... Uh, you know, sort of detail uh, in in terms of the theology of all of that. And so I don't know that it was necessarily fair to expect that from James White at a venue like this. But, uh, and then you had, right after that, you had, um, you know, after Owen Strand, then you had Scott Annual who came up and he gave a presentation on his theology that he's been teaching quite a bit about lately here with um, the Common Kingdom language, which... I'm glad I got to talk to Scott because I needed clarification on what he was talking about in terms of the common kingdom. And the common kingdom, he um, he made it clear that the common kingdom refers to life in the kingdoms of this world. And so not like, not like uh, the fact that there is a common kingdom in a subordinate way to the kingdom of God or something like that. So I just needed some clarification on that. And uh, thankfully he was, I I got to bump into him a little bit later in the conference and have an in-depth conversation. So it was really good. 
But uh, yeah, so you know, I, I appreciated having this conversation because obviously theonomy is a controversial topic that always has been controversial since its inception, going back to the to the seventies, especially with Bonson and Rush Dooney and Gary North and those kind of proponents. Um, you know, the 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 theonomy of today, brother, is 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 quite quite distinct from back in those days. There's a few thinkers out there that are trying to keep the old flame alive. I would say Joe Boot definitely represents that. Um, Gary DeMar, I think, would be a proponent of those kind of ways of thinking, but because Gary DeMar is now uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, sort of advancing a full preterism kind of dynamic, nobody wants to touch He's become radioactive, so nobody even wants to touch that. Uh, but we're, what we're seeing today is really sort of a theonomic light uh, sort of, uh, you know, a hybrid, a species of of, of the original uh, positions. You know, Doug Wilson saying he's no longer theonomist, that now he's calling for more of a Kuyperian approach uh, to things um, and sphere lordship and those kinds of things. But, but anyway, yeah, brother, so overall, I really appreciated the conference. I'm thankful they had the conversation. And I don't know, maybe we'll talk about the the panel discussion, but I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was great too. And you, you threw out a couple big words, kinism and uh, you know, the idea of common kingdom and theonomic theonic light. Um let's lest we we speak over people's heads uh too much, why don't you just kind of give us give us the, the cliff notes, give us the summary version of kinism, um of theonomy and and those type of things. These were the ideas of the conference um that were, mm-hmm. were put forth. Yeah, well, um, you know, I haven't studied very deeply into kinism because I dismissed it decades ago, actually, uh, when I had read some of the controversy surrounding uh, Doug Wilson's statements uh, advancing uh, forms of kinism, which basically just means that you stick to your old kin, your old people, your own race. And so uh, in kinism, uh, they're trying to advance this notion that part of Christian nationalism is that we should want, to some degree, to see white people stick with white people and black people stick with black people and other ethnicities stick to each other, especially as it pertains to marriage and inter- intermarrying and things like that. Um, and Owen Strand, I thought, did a really good job of exposing yeah, fantastic. the dangerous lines of thought that Kenism can lead to, uh, and, and quite frankly, how it comes directly against certain tenets of the gospel. Uh, where we are told explicitly in Galatians chapter 3 that there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. There is neither bond nor free, right? Scythian, barbarian. We're all one in Christ. And so uh, if we lead with our Christian identity, then the old carnal uh, social kind of ethnic distinctions fall away. They become secondary to everything that we are. It it no longer matters, but that a uh, you know a black person can meet the most faithful husband or wife in a white person, godly husband and wife in an opposite race, which doesn't matter at all. Uh, and what becomes most essential at that point is exactly that, that you have more in common in Christ than you do even uh, in issues relating to ethnicity. And so uh, this is where Christian nationalism kind of falls off the rails. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, as we talk about Christian nationalism, I mean, we're also talking about a position that is seeking to advance this notion that 
there can be, to some degree, basically a Christian nation, that there can be a nation who is distinctly Christian uh, and built upon Christian uh, ideals and Christian doctrines and distinctly Christian. So it's not, uh, it's not favorable to any sort of religious freedom at the end of the day, not if you want the blessing of God. And so if you want the blessing of God, you cannot have anything uh, that is mixed together in a national identity, but that Christianity has to be primary, it has to be first. Now, this is where Christian nationalism also gets kind of thorny and tricky and complicated, because of course any Christian would say that to the degree that the Lord is, you know, blessed is the nation who the Lord is their God, right? A sin is a reproach to any nation, right? And of course, uh, at that point, we would agree with Christian nationalist ideas that it is preferable to have Christian concepts that are influencing and governing your nation. And we can all agree to the basic sort of premises of those kinds of ideas. But when Christian nationalism begins to imbibe more theonomy, uh, strictly speaking, now what you're actually arguing for is a Christocracy. Now you are actually arguing that we can have sort of theocracy 2.0 in a Christianized fashion. And that we and that the church, is, and, and the state and the magistrates, uh, right? The church is to tell the state, tell the magistrate that they are obligated before God to rule by the law of Moses, including its penal and civil uh, dimensions. And so then it becomes the question: Is is that right? Is that what the Bible teaches holistically? Is that um, what the New Testament teaches? And it's important to ask that question, Mike, because we're no longer simply bound to Old Covenant, Old Testament, theocratic dimensions. We have a new covenant. We have a new testament with progressive revelation, with apostolic revelation. And now we have to take into account what did the apostles, uh, what did the apostles believe about the theocracy as it relates to the advent of Christ and the person and work of Christ. And we are just, you know, from a reform perspective that's not theonomic, we would just say the theonomy has been fulfilled and it has been replaced. We will never return to theonomic rule. We don't want to, uh, because that would be going backwards in redemptive history back to a time of shadows and, 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 and those kinds of things. And, and, and in that sense, you're kind of working backwards in redemptive history, not moving with the flow of God's development of redemptive history itself. And so uh, it, it, it can very quickly go from, yes, of course, we want Christian principles active and involved and, in a sense, propagated in, uh, in, in the kingdom or the country or this, the, the, the place in which we live, but very quickly, if you're not careful, you can find yourself in the retrograde framework where you're trying to advance this notion of returning back to an old theocratic way of thinking, which according to the New Testament, I would argue, is absolutely impossible. It's no more possible than to go back to old covenant sacrifices. It has been fulfilled and replaced. Uh, and if you're not able to say that... Uh, if you can't say of the sacrifices, for example, that they have been fulfilled and replaced, you are quite out of step with the book of Hebrews. And so, 
Uh, those are just some, I guess, preliminary ideas. And I know we've talked quite a bit about all that stuff, but that's that's kind of a uh, sort of a preliminary thought. Yeah, and I think that's all. That was that was excellent. Um, you know, this the 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 theonomy was on the sub subtitle of the the pre conference. Yeah, um, and I think you you described it right, like a theonomy light type idea. And I was a little bit. Um, I guess disappointed because I don't know if I could say with confidence that the idea of theonomy was dealt with in mm. in any sort of academic or or head on way at the pre conference, you know. Correct. And th- it was kind of brought up at the panel discussion a little bit, but very much kind of felt backdoorish, like kind of felt like we're coming at this from, from, uh, the sides and not, not head on. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. I think a question that would have been helpful, uh, would have been the question, um, if James White, for example, who sadly was the only proponent of anything close to theonomy and post-millennialism up there, um, if they would have just asked a more direct question to him, uh, something like, James, can you define theonomy as you understand it? And what part of theonomy do you, do you hold to today? Uh, and are there any aspects of theonomy you don't agree with? I mean, something simple like that would have gotten us much closer to the heart of the matter. And not instead, we kind of bounced around the peripherals and things like that. But, you know, I, I sympathize a lot with the conference and with the, with this, the participants because it's just difficult to do a lot of that heavy lifting at a conference like that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you use the word theonomy in your, in your, you know, the, the, the advertisement uh, title. Yeah. yeah. The advertisement, everything like that. And then you get there and it, it's not defined. It's not, you know, it's kind of assumed and it kind of operated on sort of like, look, this is what the conversation has been kind of under, under the surface and, <laughs> you know, in backstage, so to speak, you know. Uh, and I think what needed to happen is a little bit more of probably the conversations that were going on backstage needed to be happening on the stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's important as well. But uh, it, it, just re- it just reiterates, right, Mike, just the importance, uh, how we're never going to get away from this, but the importance of the long gospel and how critical it is for us to get those categories correct and that we cannot advance any theology, I can't, uh, that's not reformed in that way. And I certainly contend that theonomic uh, postmillennialism is not reformed. Yeah. Uh, it is an aberrant, deviant view of law and gospel that obliterates the foundations of law and gospel rooted in uh, reform covenantalism or reform federalism. Yeah, and when you say the law gospel distinction, that's a very common um, topic within within reform circles and reform discussion. Uh, why don't you just give us the thirty second kind of what you would regard as the correct reformed kind of historic view of that? Sure. I mean, I think that the long gospel, you know, has has been that uh, a seminal issue in Reformed theology for centuries. You know, I think it was Spurgeon who said that all major error in theology will always somehow go back to a long gospel issue. Uh, when you confuse the law as the gospel and the gospel as the law, um, then you can you, you're, you're sort of setting yourself up for some serious theological error. And uh, it, and it's complicated. It's not an e- it's not as easy as people may want it 
to be. Uh, because of course, even under the gospel, right? Um, we certainly love the law of God. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, David says, Oh Lord, how I love your law is my meditation all the day long. Is, 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 uh, is David not operating under the framework of the gospel? Well, of course he is. But we have to understand also the, the, the proper function and the proper relationship of the law and gospel. Now, the, 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 the proper function of the gospel, of, of the law, is rooted ultimately in covenant. And that law comes directly from the covenant of works. That's when essentially we see God operating with man on the basis of law, not gospel. And it has to be law, because there is no gospel, the gospel is not necessary in the pre-redemptive era. So in the covenant of works, you don't need the gospel. <laughs> you need the, and, 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 and the law, the law that is given, even though it is a law of life and death, is nevertheless not burdensome, and there's nothing negative about it. It's exactly what uh, Romans says that it is. Uh, it is good and righteous and holy. Um, but what Adam was given in the covenant of works, as we call it, is not grace, it's not rooted in uh, faith, it operates instead on the principle of obedience. Perf- as the Westminster Confession says, perfect, personal, entire, uh, and uh, exact obedience to God's covenant or God's law. Now, that's the nature of the law. The nature of the law is that which requires that kind of obedience, but that is not the nature of the gospel. The nature of the gospel does not say that you receive, in a sense, uh, the grace of God, you receive, you receive the inheritance of God on the basis of perfect, entire, exact, uh, you know, personal obedience to the gospel. That is not what the gospel says. The gospel says that we are given these things by the grace of God through faith in a mediator. Adam did not have a mediator in the, in the covenant of, of works. Mm-hmm. The mediator and the work of the mediator is introduced in the covenant of grace. So therefore, law represents a personal obedience and personal obligation to obey the law of God perfectly and exactly and entirely Whereas the gospel introduces the principle of faith that you are advanced by grace through faith and that faith in the work of the mediation of Christ. And so when you turn the law into the gospel, you are saying that the law of God is, uh, is congruent with the mediator who performs that law for you. But that is not what law represents. Law represents, like uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, the law represents a curse in the sense that you are bound to obey all of it. And who of us can do that? It's an impossible burden. Uh, We cannot obey the law perfectly, entirely, exactly the way it demands. The law itself, therefore, as Paul says, is a schoolmaster, a tutor, to lead us to Christ. Uh, and, 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 to f- and, and, and it shows us that we need deliverance. We need freedom from the things, as Paul says in Acts, 
We need freedom from the things that we cannot do, that we cannot fulfill, that we cannot obey. And ultimately what that means is we need freedom from our sins. Well, the law, keeping the law, more and more and more law keeping cannot liberate you from your sin. The only thing that can liberate you from your sin is the gospel. And so when you conflate the two, not only do you end up with great confusion about what the gospel is exactly, but you also end up with a mono-covenantal system. And people have tried, Mike, to kind of rationalize their way out of that. People have tried to argue uh, out of a mono-covenantal framework, having advanced something like theonomy, but they can't do it. Uh, That's why they try to write on it, because they know they're in a very, very sticky situation where you have reduced everything to the covenant of grace, and that is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that there is only the covenant of grace. The covenant of works is works, and um, the covenant of grace is brought in in contradistinction to the covenant of works. It's very simple in that way. But you get you, you, you start tinkering with that more and more and more. You start playing around with that more and more and more. You will distort reform federalism out of recognition. Yeah. And uh, that's not what we want to do. So I know that's a lot for people, but maybe they can, <laughs> maybe can they rewind and replay this over again. Yeah. And, and your point in destroying reform federalism, I mean, gets to the heart of the gospel. You know, gets to some very dangerous, dangerous and questionable territory. Um, now let me let me kind of transition back to Christian nationalism a little bit, um, and the conference and addressing the American Church, you know, of today. There was there was a lot of relevance, you know, there of of how do we deal with um, almost on one side this Christian extremism. Uh, and on the other side, this, you know, whatever, it's all going to pan out how, how it's supposed to pan out. And, and I heard this pastor on a podcast, I don't even remember what, what it was. And, and he said something along the lines of, of American Christians today are, are almost like defeatists. Uh, they're attitude of there's an attitude of depression believing that the kingdom of heaven rises and falls with with the kingdom of america um and if christians lose an election whatever that means you know um it's almost as if all hope is lost and and i've i he he said that i'm like yeah that kind of feels true in our cultural context uh in america that you know hey we we lost an election and again i don't know what that means when we say christians lost an election it's it's not our election and and we're not putting hope in man and it's almost as if yeah it, it, i thought of that quote and i thought you know that that does describe a lot of the the feelings of of american christianity today in the context of politics and and who's in the oval office and we're putting a lot of hope in america and this link that and he said this link that you know the kingdom of heaven almost rises and falls with uh whatever's happening in america and uh well, on what a horrible point of view, you know yeah. that that our hope isn't in the kingdom of America. Uh, there, there's there's no guarantee there, and our hope and our security, our peace, is that we have a king upon the throne in the high courts of heaven who cannot be. There's no changing of the guard there. He's not moved one bit, affected one uh, one inch 
on who's sitting in the Oval Office or, or, you know, what's happening in the Middle East, you know, and, and so forth. So you have anything, you know, in light of that, um, and the conference mm-hmm. spoke a lot about uh, that, that idea. Yeah, no, it, it certainly did. And I think that one of the questions that was asked is a question that I talked about um, on Red Grace Live on the YouTube channel, uh, where I dealt with the, the the theology, or at least the video of the preaching of Joel Webin, where Joel Webin advances this idea that, you know, we win down here, which is another way. And in the conference, they, they, they kind of kicked around a question uh, based on MacArthur's original comment that we, the church, we lose down here, but we win in the end, right? And uh, and then, of course, you know, the post-millennial uh, community took great umbrage to that statement, and they ended up, you know, just advancing, you know, one, one after another, like dominoes, began commenting on that comment and saying that, no, MacArthur is wrong. Uh, we actually win down here because post-millennialism teaches, of course, that we will ultimately take control of the kingdoms of this world, uh, and Christianize the earth for the glory of God, and that um, they take passages like Isaiah 11 and others, you know, the glory of God will cover the earth as the, the water covers the sea, and uh, they use those kind of passages to uh, to envision some sort of coming golden age, golden era of Christendom, and uh, therefore they can't agree with the proposition we lose down here. And uh, And I think, obviously, in the spirit of what MacArthur was saying, we have to agree as amillennialists, we agree with him in the sense that no, Christians will never enter into any sort of phase of triumphalism on this earth. No, we'll never take control of the White House, the UN, you know, <laughs> we're never going to Christianize the world demographically in terms of, you know, the vast majority of people on planet earth will be Christian. We believe uh, very clearly in the Bible uh, that in this age, which we do believe is called the present evil age, um, uh, postmillennialists want to redefine that. Of course, they have to redefi- redefine that. Uh, we believe that in this present evil age, you know, we will always be a remnant. We will always be the minority. We're mm. always going to be the few. It will be the the few that find it. You know, it will few will uh, be there, and uh, and so it, it, you know, it's important for us to uh, sort of. Uh, acknowledge the remnant theology of Scripture for what it is. It's always, it's always this idea that God delivers a people, uh, that He saves His people out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. But He doesn't save every trunk, type, tongue, tribe, and nation in, in some sort of universalistic way, right? And so uh, they have to sort of redefine uh, those concepts. But you know, the whole tone of defeatism and triumphalism and these kinds of things. We lose, we win. I mean, obviously, those are superficial to some degree. Uh, when you get down into the details, exegetically and theologically, it's more important to understand the things along the lines of positional salvation versus, uh, you know, let's say, uh, uh, practical salvation, yeah. right? Like, you know, Con- in a positional way, we always win. Yeah. yeah, positionally in Christ, because of our union with Christ, you know, Paul would say Christ always leads us in triumph, right? We are sitting with him on the throne, according to Paul. We have been raised with him already. Uh, and so through regeneration and through our union with Christ, we've already entered into and are already partaking of our triumph, victory, or inheritance in Christ and but of course we understand that in its proper theological tension 
that what Paul is talking about, what the apostles are talking about, what Jesus was talking about, is he's talking about an inaugurated stage of our eschatological future, an inaugurated stage of our salvation, uh, which of course anticipates now a consummate stage. And so what I believe Christian nationalism, theonomy, postmillennialism, what it does is it takes the consummate language of the Bible and tries to inject it back into the inaugurated stage of of salvation and eschatology, and so that the not yet becomes the already, and that is absolutely not, uh, I believe, what Scripture teaches. And uh, there's a reason why you know so many theologians have come down and settled down on that uh, on that slogan that we've all have come to know. Uh, concerning the already not yet dynamic of the Bible, uh, because it's just common sense. It's common sense that it's salvation is already there's an inaugurated stage, but it's not yet. There's a consummate stage, and we can't conflate the two. And so, uh, you know, uh, you know that that that's part of the frustration of hearing comments like defeatism, yeah. right? Uh, you know, when I was featured on Apologia. Uh, several months ago or a year ago, I can't remember when it was, but uh, one of the guys on the channel said that that I was a defeated man uh, just because I don't believe in <laughs> theonomy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and those kind of comments are just not helpful. Yeah, I agree. So moving on to, to G3 proper, the, the main conference on the sovereignty of God. What a great... Uh, yeah. Great topic, and I remember reading early in my Christianity, Sharnock and Pink, and and you know, getting really shaped uh, by that. So I was excited. I was giddy when I saw the the commercial on the you know that yeah. they were promoting, and uh, each speaker did a phenomenal job at lifting high the doctrine of, of God's sovereignty. And of course, each speaker had their, their focus, you know, Votiv Bakum uh, was on God's sovereignty over marriage and Owen Strand was preach, uh, preaching God's sovereignty and the perseverance of the saints. Uh, Stephen Lawson of, of God's sovereign, absolute rule over everything. I mean, he came out just, he came out to preach um, on on Psalms ninety three. Justin Peters on his breakout God's sovereignty over false teachers. Uh, Mike Riccardi on God's sovereignty in particular redemption. Masterful uh, message there. Um, and so, why don't why don't you kind of what what were some of your highlights on on the the main portion of the conference? Yeah, I mean it's it's always great to have a subject like the sovereignty of God, sort of you know, apply to the whole of the Christian life. And what I liked about, you know, everything, I guess, in terms of the whole, the total picture, is just showing how the sovereignty of God is more than just Calvinism or more than just, you know, uh, dealing with the five points of, of Calvinism, the doctrines of grace, but really showing how the sovereignty of God should affect every aspect of the Christian life. And, uh, and so in that sense, and it also shows us that we need to look at the sovereignty of God as the way to always kind of be stay grounded as Christians in a world like Vodi Bakum was pointing out, that's trying to destroy things like Christian marriage and things like that, um, and how that God's sovereignty over the sphere of this world, regardless of where the ethics go, regardless of where the culture goes, regardless of where the government goes, right? We always come back to this idea of the absolute sovereignty of God, and which was awesome. Now, I mean, uh, it's it's 
it's always hard because, you know, at these conferences, you do both, you know, a little bit of, of listening and trying to sit in on that one message that you really need to hear because it's that one guy you really want to hear. And then, you know, you're also balancing all the fellowship that you're engaged in and the conversations and the people you're meeting and, and things like that. And uh, I was just blessed at how many people came up and talked to me about uh, about our podcast, about our YouTube channel, about Red Grace Media. That was also really encouraging. Uh, it's always encouraging when you hear and when you know that you've made an impact mm. on people. And, uh, and that's great. And so... Yeah, I think Steve Lawson's messages were remarkable as always. Uh, Steve Lawson, I think, has now kind of become that herald, that preacher, that you know, that that expositor at conferences that you just know, no matter what he's going to preach, you know that Steve Lawson is always going. Is he's you know he's going to deliver a word that's going to land on everyone. Yeah. And and just kind of level the, the <laughs> level everything out, you know. And um, and I tell you, uh, for a conference like this, Steve Lawson. <laughs> what was, was kind of funny to me is that Steve Lawson is up there preaching, almost oblivious to what the conference was about, <laughs> <laughs> because. He he wasn't being sensitive to a single thing. <laughs> he, he, I mean, talk about just letting it rip. <laughs> I mean, he just went out there and he gave the absolute, a devastating uh, uh, analysis of culture <laughs> and where the world is and where and how bad it is and where it's deteriorating and and how under judgment it is and and the present evil age that we're living in and, and how God's sovereignty. Uh, is the comforting kind of uh, you know uh, the um, you know it's it's we always come back to that. That's always going to be our, our our kind of refrain, right? Is that God is sovereign, in control, and no matter what is happening in the world and the culture, no matter how out of control it seems, no matter how bad we are oppressed and marginalized and persecuted, we always know that um, that that the Lord is sovereign and in control. Amen. Yeah, I think this Dr. Lawson's messages, I mean, both of them uh, lit me up. Um, and my wife was there and, uh, you know, he is her favorite, you know, teacher. He's on my in my house all day long, almost uh, as as she's working and the kids are doing school. And the Lord blessed us because we got to run into him uh, at the in the airport on our, our way out. And that was that was amazing. And, and his message on Psalm 93, uh, once the messages drop, all of them were, were phenomenal. Uh, but, you know, for any of the listeners, look, definitely look that message up. And, you know, he just started with the Lord reigns and he is robed in majesty. You remember at the Shepherds Conference, he came out just guns a blazing and he said, this is a rated R message, you know, as in reformed. (laughs) I mean, he did that again. He just came out just ready to, to preach, ready to lift high um, the majesty and, and glory of God. And I think that just, that really set the conference soaring to, to new heights, um, in, in, from, from that point forward and all the, all the messages were great. And I know for me, one of the highlights 
uh, was uh, it turned into be a late night, but they they premiered the cessationist documentary. Um, oh, yeah. And then they announced that yeah. they're doing a conference um, later on this <laughs> year at MacArthur's church. And and uh, of course, they also uh, showed the um, uh, MacArthur's documentary and then the title of it just slipped my the essential church. Um, yeah. and, and we actually, uh, left early. I had seen it in the theaters and as we were leaving, uh, some cop cars, good, good thing we, yeah, good thing we yeah, did. <laughs> some cop cars were flying, but we're like, man, that guy's going so fast. Don't they know yeah. there's kids around here? And as we're pulling out and turns out there was a, a, a bomb scare, uh, at the convention center and they had to evacuate it. Um, but we were on our way to go get some Chinese food. Uh, right. and so, you know, so definitely, uh, an exciting conference all the way around, but anything, uh, you know, as we, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, any final words, anything you want to comment on, on the documentaries or anything like that? Yeah, you know, I spent some time with uh, with Les and with Tim, uh, the makers of, of the film, and uh, uh, Lord willing, we're going to work together on a project or two. Um, it's it's always great to talk to those guys. We've got some plans, and we're, we we have a conversation going right now uh, for future projects and stuff. And I hope that that actually comes together. Uh, but you know, the cessationist film is is very important. I, you know, for me personally. Um, I tend to lose sight of the fact that there are so many people still trapped in really, really bad, uh, abusive, spiritually abusive, charismatic circles. Uh, and maybe you're not coming from a more kind of level-headed, uh, uh, what's the word they use, um, uh, of a more distinct kind of uh, cautious, right, open but cautious kind of uh, position mm-hmm. like a Piper or D.A. Carson or something like that. But that you're coming from, you know, a, a heavy Pentecostal world where uh, the church engages in extra biblical revelation. People are claiming to have o- open dreams and visions and words of prophecy and speaking in tongues and those kinds of things and falling out and all that craziness that you see on television. Uh, and you forget that people are trapped in that system and that people are subjecting themselves and their families. Uh, and their children to to uh, you know churches that actually, in my opinion, end up abusing people spiritually yeah. in this way. I, I can't really think of it in any other terms because anytime you have somebody attempting to wield the power of "Thus saith the Lord," and God told me, and God showed me, and I know, and you know, if you you know, I'm the gifted one, and and <laughs> you know, I'm the I'm the oracle, I'm the prophet, I'm I'm the I'm the one that that has a direct pipeline to God. Anytime you have that dynamic going on in a church, you're in trouble. You're in a really bad, bad uh, place. Yeah. And uh, and for many people, I, I know you and I both can attest to this. For many people, they just don't even recognize it, and they don't even see it, and they. And they need something like the cessationist film from the outside to kind of pop the bubble and wake them up to, hey, you are in a bad situation in this charismatic theology, and and uh, and here are the issues, and here's why. And I think the film does a great job of illustrating uh, the deficient views of revelation and the deficient views of prophecy that are going around today and the extreme uh, positions that people take and even the various compromises that it leads to. And you had, 
you had the film, which I thought was remarkable, but it took direct aim at Wayne Grudem and others, people that are respected to some degree in the reformed world, um, and really played some of their own words and audio and video showing where they make statements that are kind of startling uh, as far as receiving divine revelation from God and extra biblical revelation and uh, very, very telling of what can happen in, in that hermeneutic, in that system, and the subjectivism, the utter subjectivism and subjectivity that you expose people to. I know that's what, you know, Justin Peters, one of the speakers there, a good friend of mine, uh, I know I've talked to him about this for, you know, countless times, just the utter subjective nature of those sorts of uh, spiritualities. It's just, it's it's frightening. And then to learn that there are so many people in that place, uh, so millions of, of professing Christians that go to these kind of wild Pentecostal-type churches where crazy stuff like this goes on. It's just it's unbelievable but that so many people are under that kind of deception. Yeah, and, and I thought you would put it right, is we often forget, because we're not in that world, we're not in that, that bubble, but it has become the mainstream. Um, I mean, I get in my car and I always plug in my phone and I, I have my playlists and stuff of, of worship music and things I listen to. It's not the electro nonsense you listen to. Uh, but you know, uh, I always will start my car and I try to get my phone plugged in as quickly as possible because on default on my stereo, a local Christian, uh, station pops on and it is nothing but Bethel music, Hillsong elevation nonsense. And that is yeah. 100% of like, I think the Christians just in Southern California with those where I'm at here, it's all they listen to. And that is in their house pumping 24 seven. And you know, it's, it's as, as just Peters, it's the gateway drug. Right. This this music is the gateway drug that takes them in there. And then I watch Christians post the books they're reading and it's all it's just nonsense. It's it's not good. It's a dangerous non-Christian theology. Um, and I thought, you know, I thought that term, the subjectivity of it, I had coffee with a brother a couple days ago and, and, you know, he's going through some major life changes and everything he's saying is, yeah, the Lord spoke to me this and the Lord spoke to me that and, and trying to get him just to just stop, calm down. You know, uh, you're, you're moving on every wind and, and, and wave that's just tossing you to and fro because your foundation is off. Um, it's emotionalism. It's, it's, yeah, whatever we want to label it, this this nonsense of of private revelation that for the most part is just existing in his head. Um, and it was so hard. I found myself so frustrated just trying. I want to help. I love this guy. And I want to help him. But it was so, it was like trying to grab water with your, your hand, you know, grab a fistful of water, you know. And that was the frustrating part of... Uh, you know, the conversation until we could get, just come back to the Bible and do what it says, rest here. There's safety, there's comfort here. Um, and it is so mainstream and it's not abstract. Um, you know, there's real people, 
uh, hurting and they need to come back to the sovereignty of God, uh, come back to that, that rock, um, that is our foundation. So what a great, great conversation, great topic. And we could of course go on for, for hours and hours and hours, uh, talking about that. And we didn't even, you know, get into a lot of the, um, the conversations uh, that we had with people in the hallways and the other speakers and the breakout sessions and, and everything was, was absolutely fantastic. And so with that, before I bring it to a close, any, any final words you have? Uh, well, you know, they're doing a G3 will be in South Lake, Texas uh, at uh, a friend's church, Tom Pennington's church here. And I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be on uh, I believe the the name of that conference is Reformed and Always Reforming or something like that. Uh, and so looking forward to those events uh, for sure. But no, great, great time, great conference, great, great subjects, uh, great preaching. Uh, and uh, 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 G3 is planning a lot of big things. And yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that ministry thrive. I'm just praying that, uh, that they will stay the course that they will not deviate from their sort of their foundational standards, their confessional standards, their doctrinal standards, and just praying that will all hold hold really firmly and and uh, and soundly, and that uh, God will bless uh, that ministry uh, for His own glory. Uh, and so, great time, yeah. and and it was a great conference. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Christ and Kingdom. Please don't forget to share to. Don't forget to like and share uh, this episode. And remember that uh, Pastor Emilio is live on Sunday nights at 7 uh, with the broadcast on Red Grace Media Live. And please check out redgracemedia.com for all the past episodes and, and tons of resources there. So God bless you and we'll see you next time. <laughs>